Before you got involved in working with yes. you, I mean, you were working as a lecturer, weren't you? Yeah, I've worked as a lecturer, but I'd also, before, I came to university as a mature student through an access ruse, mm -hmm. and I'd worked as a youth worker for a number of years through a period where the funding was constantly under threat, and we were having to try and find ways of capturing our work, which was things like having conversations with people at critical points in their lives. And I was really interested in that sort of, that more interpersonal stuff, what happens when people come together and have new experiences. And I think the thing that, I, when I first started in this role, I've been given this job of how to evaluate these activities. And the thing that really struck me when I went to something like the summer school was the atmosphere, what was going on between the people, that buzz between the people, so many students talking about fear, being afraid, and being afraid of what it would be like to be in this kind of environment, doubting whether they would fit, whether they would like it, whether they would be clever enough, and, and just all of this anxiety around being in this environment. And that was something that I really picked up on through that period of being on the summer school, that immersive experience of spending time in this environment, that that was a very powerful sort of transformative experience. And it was something that it went beyond sort of just focusing on the numbers that were progressing to university. There was something happening in those experiences that we weren't really capturing. And uh, so, so it was this sense of, a moment where you could walk around the university as a student and feel that you could belong. You could test it out a little bit to see whether it's the right kind of thing to, uh, for you. You would feel different. Through being there, you would feel that it was your kind of place. So there was a, a lot of talk around confidence, overcoming fear, people coming with ideas about how it was going to be. So overcoming doubts about what the experience would be like. So it was very much people's ideas being challenged, but also this embodied experience of being in a university and having a university-type experience. So, but yeah. you were surprised, weren't you? Yes, I was very surprised, because, because I suppose I came into not knowing what wine participation was, really, and I knew that universities were having to do this kind of stuff. It was something that was being dictated from the government, and I didn't know... As an academic. As an academic, yeah. I was sort of quite cynical about it. So when I actually came and encountered it firsthand, I think the thing that really struck me was just the experience that people were having and how that experience was affecting them. Mm -hmm. So, okay. yeah. Okay, next. Okay. So, that's great. And I think anybody involved in widening participation practice knows has experienced that transformative um, element of the work if it's been, if it's been successful. But... Is that enough to say it was an effective intervention? And I think what constitutes success varies according to your position and interests. So the government, OPA, HEFGI, university senior management teams are interested in the long-term impact on progression. Um, so WP practitioners, students and school teachers are very interested in the activity itself and the short-term impact. Um, success, you know, is seen as a perceived positive experience for the participants. Now, in terms of evaluation, that has been um, contested. Oh, we've all been, you know, there's been this accusation of it's a happy sheet. If they just were happy, um, that doesn't mean they're going to progress to university, which is true. On the other hand, if they came away from an activity like that feeling unhappy, that would definitely not be a success. And some of this 
this is the work that the um, practitioners who develop and deliver these activities, this is what they do as their day-to-day -day role, and they're very uh, attached to that, quite rightly. So, that's one. Mm. So, we, the other thing that's not often included in the mix is the theory. Now, Kieran's give us, given us this morning an exposition of the um, high-level high theory of Bourdieu, but there's a lot of people who use um, Bourdieu's theories to explore reasons why young people don't progress onto university or why they don't do as well um, uh, when they get there. So Kieran mentioned Diane Ray, and there's the work of Stephen Ball and colleagues, and Jill Crozier and so on, so on who's uh, had an article called Strangers in Paradise about students going on to highly selective universities and how they perceive and sense that. However, for the people who are um, working, delivering and developing the summer schools and the taster days and the sustained programs, they're often very little aware of that sort of work that's gone on, which can give them such an insight into what they're doing and what they're working on. And similarly, I think things are improving in terms of um, uh, the Office of Fair Access. Well, I know they are, and, um, uh, and Hefke. But very often, in the past, um, the funders of this activity haven't been aware of that research. And of course, it's organisations such as the Office of Fair Access and Hefke, the funding agency, that translate things um, translate government policy. And I was thinking, I'm just going to add a bit in here. I was thinking about what Kieran was saying um, about Bourdieu and being so um, depressed about the situation of education. Now, we have been, for all the thoughts that we could talk about in terms of aim higher and other things that have happened, we are in a very fortunate position and have been for the last few years in that we are funded to make a difference as universities in terms of widening access, student success and progression. Um, I would, um, I mean many people would talk about the uh, issues related in the large new labour programme Aim Higher, which was the first one which was really serious about trying to get um, more students into education and there were certain flaws involved in that, that's true. But I think that's a significant difference um, in that there is a will and a, um, and a level of resource attached to actually trying to address the issue that wasn't there at that point when Bourdieu was working and writing about that. Because obviously the social divisions that were emerging as the way that education was reproducing, well, I mean, the reasons for it may be um, may be contested. Um, I think New Labour were as interested in developing human capital as they were in, as in social justice, if not more so. But nevertheless, it gives us an opportunity to change something in the system. So I think that's, that's where we might have a difference. So, as I said when we started this morning, that we do have a gap between practice, theory and policy. And very often the activities, the evaluation and the monitoring of that and the research into that is the thing that's supposed to fill the gap. So that's what we're about today. 
um, if we're going to the next. So this was the one that really annoyed me. As I said, I worked in London. Um, I um, worked, uh, set up the Aim Higher group in South East London and worked there for a long time. We could see those transformative activities happening, like the summer school film. We were getting excellent results. The teachers, things were changing. And a report came out from Hefke um, a bit later, based on the 2010 figures, showing that the numbers of students from low participation neighbourhoods progressing to higher education had increased. A few people here remember that? I can see a few nods. Okay, so we were all thrilled a bit. I, was, I think I was embarrassed by that time. Anyway, I looked at the report. There were all the boroughs that I'd worked in in South East London. They'd all changed colour from, you know, nobody going to university to, you know, the numbers having increased. So we had the figures, and still, um, we were told that that wasn't effective. And what there was there was an evaluation gap. We had the top-level figures saying that, yes, progression rates had changed, um, and then there was a, an inquest on why that had happened. One of the very things that was mentioned least was aim higher. Gentrification was was mentioned, which I'm sure um, is an you know had an impact. Um, London Challenge, which was a big um, initiative in in secondary schools to raise attainment, was mentioned, which of course also had an impact, and certainly made those of us working in that area in the universities and colleges made that work easier. But despite all the money and the effort and the work of people in, in Aim Higher, the programme was closed. I'm not saying it was a perfect programme or anything like that. And one of the reasons it was closed was because there was no evidence to show it had been making any difference. So that's where I'd say there's an evaluation gap. And obviously, what we've been trying to do is to, is to begin to fill that gap in terms of the way we look at events. So I always go on about that quite a lot. So yes. I thought I might as well put a slide in, you know, just to, just to show how it had changed. So um, thinking about the interventions and the activities that we do, how do we position those? Um, we did fall out quite a lot when we were working on this, yes, didn't we? Yes, we did. Yeah. And <laughs> Andrew, of course, comes from a different sort of background, yeah. as he was saying, you know, and he, he um, Bourdieu wasn't... Bourdieu was more my sort yes, of thing. Yes, he was, yes. So we did talk about it. I knew so, who he was. Yeah, you knew who he was. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, we, we try, I was trying to grapple with was the thing that um, Mark um, mentioned at the back there. We want to develop, um, we want to have some transformation in the students, yeah? And I think going to university is a transformatory experience for all students, hopefully. That's why they're there, you know. Is transformatory. But if we just focus on changing the students, that really slips into a deficit model. And in my view, um, that was one of the issues that was um, uh, an issue with Aim Higher and the approach that New Labour had, because they were thinking about developing human capital. And there is, um, there is a wonderful article by Sharon Gavertz called Cloning the Blairs. And that sort of encapsulates um, how you might say, so, okay, so you've got the wrong capital, so you've got the wrong capital. What you've got to do is develop the right capital, and then you will succeed. So 
it's something more subtle than that. Obviously, if you, like myself, um, my parents didn't go to university, which is not unusual in my age group. They were very supportive, but they weren't able to help me and support me in the same way that I was able to do with my children because I'd had um, experience of it. You know, often parents are criti and families are criticised. In our experience, it's not that they're unsupportive, they just don't have those knowledges, um, they don't have the capital. So I've tried to place the activities in a context, and I use the concept of field to do that here, and so I might not have to have a tutorial afterwards to see whether I can do that. But I did know that... Um, you know, things had moved on from when Bourdieu wrote. He did ask us to, he did supply us his thinking tools. And he's often criticised for not actually telling people what to do. But I think he would have thought that was anathema to tell people what to do. Because what he wants people to do is to reflect on their context and their situation and think about how can we change things, how can we make a difference. Not to actually lay something out and say this is how it's done. So when I look at the activities, I test, will it make a difference in the university? Will it make a difference in the school? Not just will it make a difference um, to the students. And obviously you can't do everything all the time. But if you note in the, um, in the movie, there's quite a lot of academic staff in there delivering activities. That's quite challenging because academic staff are busy. But I'd rather do slightly fewer activities and make sure that the academic staff are involved in the activity than uh, because it gets them to meet the students, see the sorts of challenges that the students are facing in their education, get to know the um, sort of energy and excitement of the students. Am I, I'm talking, am I talking about the wrong bit now, the student oh, no, no, identity? I don't know. No, no, yes, no, okay. no, that's right. So, so, um, so that's one of the things, that's why we've positioned it there. Do mm. you want to say a little bit about the, the student transformatory aspect? Yeah, I mean, I think <coughs> the thing about this diagram is obviously no, no, these things don't happen in a vacuum. And I think the thing that we, there was this, obviously the students' experience of the, the event, uh, how taking part and think how, how that transformed them, but also how that was affecting and linking in with their families and their communities. I mean, we had... We've, we've had quite a lot of contact through the work we've done with families and, and anxieties in families around how to support students when they're moving into a world that a family doesn't understand. You know, I, as a, as a youth worker, regularly used to talk to parents and parents used to ask me, they say, oh, you work in a university, should I be sending my child to university? Is it going to change their life? And, you know, and so there's a lot of players within this. Sometimes the relationship between the university and the school wasn't as good as it could have been and you had to work on those relationships you had to bring teachers on board you had to get teachers to to realize that actually the staff that we've got from the university who were involved in delivering the act activities were actually understood some of the issues that the the students were experiencing so there's a lot of communication between these different people and creating a shared vision and i think that was the thing that i came into it was was thinking about, okay, if we're serious about this, rather than just doing it because the government's told us to do it, if we are serious about trying to bring about some cultural change, how do we need to think about it? Who are the different players within this? Who do we, 
and, and and you know who do we need to involve and and I think a lot of you know I think particularly family is an area that mm. is really undeveloped in terms of wider participation and we've had this through our more intensive programs you know families really just not feeling equipped in any way to advise and support their their, their offspring and you know what can we do as a university to not only just work with students but to actually help families to support their students and develop capacity within families as well. So and the process of the university, this is why I think the outreach activities can often be underestimated. The process of the university and the university staff working in this way actually it can change the culture of the university. Yeah. So that's to answer your question, Mark. It's not fantastic, but it is it's not the whole answer, obviously. There are other ways you can do it. But in terms of the outreach activity, can I add something to that as well? Yes. And I think the more that we developed this framework and actually understood what it was that we were trying to do and developed a way of talking about it, that that was really helpful in terms of communicating with the other academics and actually getting them to change what they did instead of just delivering the kind of talk that they might do to university students, which some of them were doing. We'd invite them to come and do, a, a, you know, to take part in a, an activity and they would deliver something that was just pitched way above the kids' heads that would actually alienate them more than anything because they'd all just sit there going, what on earth was that, that person on about? And I think, so it's been really good to actually get the staff in board with this sort of bigger project of, you know, thinking about it in a serious way. So, yeah, we move, okay. So we don't have to talk too much about Bourdieu's theories. Um, the framework does em employ the concepts of um, habitus and cultural capital and social, social capital. So we just, should we just flick through that one yep. then? designed to maximise the impact of the intervention mm. and the sorts of ways we've been talking about so that we would, in, we, would be, we, we would be thinking about it in terms of delivery, academic staff would be thinking about it and we would, and the young people participating would be thinking about it. And we wanted to have clear aims and learning outcomes because mm. while we wanted to capture sort of almost intangible um, transformation that was happening. Um, there had been serious criticisms mm. of the way that these interventions had been um, had been evaluated in the past, which were valid really, mm. weren't they? And I just, when I, um, in, when I first started working in this role at University of Bath, whilst a lot of uh, effort and went into designing activities, it wasn't always clear what people were drawing on in terms of what was the theory informing this? How did we know that any of this worked? How did we know that these were the right kinds of activities to include in a particular intervention? So that wasn't clear. We weren't sure what was informing that. And also, um, in terms of the delivery, we weren't capturing the thing. And, and then the other thing that we found as well was because often activities were organised independently, Sometimes the aims weren't consistent. Sometimes one activity would just be slightly different for, to another activity and there'd be no real reason for it. Somebody might have just forgotten to include a certain bit or one person would have drawn up one set of aims and another person would have written them slightly differently. So there was no rationalisation between the aims or where they sat within a bigger programme, really. These were people working with me <coughs> and I had very clear ideas about what I wanted to happen. 
Mm. I mean, you know, we had to develop our program very quickly. That's my excuse. But, you know, there was a, um, I think the spirit was right, but, you know, actually mm. it wasn't as systematic as it no. had been. And there was a lot of tacit knowledge being employed yeah. as well, and it wasn't clear where that was coming from, and, yeah. and, and that wasn't captured. Yeah. yeah. So. Okay, so yeah, we did, in terms of devising this, we did a sort of top-down and bottom-up sort of strange community from two different directions, and we started to think about the project of widening participation, what it was that we were really trying to achieve, what was it that students needed in order to be successful within the university environment. So some of it was about drawing on theory, drawing on research, but also rationalising the kind of activity as well, so looking at what we were already thought we were trying to do through the activity. And we honed in on sort of these five, I mean, we've come up with these sort of five simple words to try and capture everything. So the idea was that we, we found that people needed to know, know about higher education, know about the range of opportunities, know about graduate employment as well. That's another thing, you know, working class students venturing off into this world outside of their parents and their families, you know, how on earth, what are these graduate jobs? Where are they? How do you find them? So there's the thing about knowledge, but then also the capacity to navigate, to find your way around the sector, to make informed choices. We use habitus around student identity, thinking about the transformation that you need to go to, you know, what's involved in you feeling com confident, comfortable, safe within a space, what's involved in belonging, you know, what's underpinning that. And then, do you want to say something about the, yeah. we had a lot of debate around. I did particularly, <laughs> because those of you who've been involved in any way in the sort of key skills debate, which I was, you know, 20 years ago or whatever, can you separate skills from, um, you know, subject knowledge, really? And it was actually from practice that, because uh, I had that in and out, you know, one or in and out about five times, didn't I? Joined. Yes, we did. And yes, this wasn't yes. particularly Andrew's area of interest. No. So this is one of the ones where we fell out of it because he didn't quite get what I was... Um, yes, or well, what yeah. the issue was. Well, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, anyway, it actually, the decision to keep it separate actually came from working with mature students who were coming in from an Access to HE diploma course. And so they were, they did have issues about habitus and so on, but they made this decision anyway. They were all keen to do it, but they just did not have the study skills. And one of our programs, we had a pre-sessional residential program, which would then follow up, particularly for the mature students. They had a different set of study skills to the um, A-level students. I mean, obviously they had a lot of restraints. They, they were really determined to get that mm. degree. They didn't have to go out partying and um, misbehaving themselves, you know, unless they felt like it, um, in order to have fun at university because they were mature people. So they saved a lot of time and energy. They brought a lot to it, but they really lacked the skills. Mm. So we had a separate thing for skills capital, which was a capital we made up here, and I hope that's okay. So, well, I made up. I have to take full responsibility for that. Um, but the other thing it was about attainment and there was a question here about working in schools um, so there's a lot of work that's been done over the years about students understanding about how to get into university um, and that's really critical i think we just know from working out in the field um, how much you know that work is still critical and important 
there's also something about students thinking a little bit more widely um, and wanted to think with all the resources of the university there how can we deploy those to give students a little bit of a wider lens on what um, maths let's say could be about and this is the trickiest one in terms of delivery and we just had the latest uh, guidance through from the office for fair access which has got attainment raising activities right up at the top as i'm looking at richard it's your fault there. Yeah. yeah but it's quite clear why that's why that's the case because of the um it's all very well, you know, students learning how to apply, but if they haven't got the grades, then it's not going to get them very far. And I thought very carefully about this. I mean, it has been done to um, do things like uh, universities will pay for GCSE maths masterclasses. That's been done in the past. Um, but I was thinking that's not really the role of the university. The role of the university is not to replicate what the schools are doing. Um, is to bring something different and that's where um, I wanted to place that in terms of developing some of that cultural capital that helps people to think about what their schoolwork is doing in a different way. So let's for example let's take um, learning French and the difference that that would be if you've never been out, let's, outside of let's say Swindon or something like that and if you'd had lots of holidays in France as a child and already gone off and uh, bought baguettes and said merci and, and so on and so on. French is going to feel a lot more relevant to you if you've got that sort of background there. So what I wanted to do with the um, attainment raising and subject-based events that we offer is to give the sort of um, context that you could see in that summer school because that's a project those students are working on. They're working on a group academic project where they work with academic staff. So we're not trying to replicate the A-level curriculum. What we're trying to do is to give the students the capacity to think a little bit wider about what they're doing in their school subject. And uh, I just want to add one thing to that. Yeah. And just in terms of how we develop the framework and pitch the framework, it was very much trying to capture individual student transformation, but we also have been able to use it as a tool to explain wider participation to academics, to teachers within schools. So it's, it's whilst the focus was on the transformation of the individual student, it's also played a role in terms of wider cultural change and actually getting people on board with widening participation mm -hmm. because it's helped us to explain what it is that we're trying to do mm -hmm. and to help academics who have very much come from a habitus, in a lot of cases at University of Bath, a lot of the academics there have come from middle-class backgrounds, have come, you know, they've been sort of primed to be academics and just come on that little conveyor belt straight into university. So it's quite hard for them to think outside of their habitus yeah. as well. So I think it's been really useful in terms of that conversation that we've been able to have. And yeah, okay. So, is this me? Yeah. Okay, so what we've, we've done with this is we've, we've, got, we've come up with these overarching aims. So five overarching aims that cut across all of the work that we do. And all of our work, whether it's at a programme level or an activity level, is at some 
way trying to address these aims. And we've acknowledged that actually there's a progression through the work that we do. So we, we talked about, well, we, we initially we tried to differentiate between high and low intensity activities and had lots of discussions about, you know, whether, what was the, the, the expectation of an event? So something like a, you know, just a, a, a visit to the university, you wouldn't have the same level of expectation as you might from a summer school or a high intensity program, like in our case on track to Bath. So we tried to acknowledge this progression. Um, and the, a difference between different types of events, but also looking at the kind of activity that we delivered at each of what we called levels. So <laughs> we would have level zero, which would be year six. Yes, sort of primary. Yeah, you, yeah. Lower, and then going up to level one, level two, level three, and level three would be our post-16. So that would be our level of really working with people, hopefully to get them into the university. So we came up with a set of objectives that were linked to these aims, but were slightly different depending on the level that you were at. So there was a common theme of trying to develop knowledge and awareness of the benefits of higher education, but at the level of, like, say, level year six, you would just be wanting them to go up to the university and see that there was this opportunity to study all these kind of things and to just go away knowing a bit more than they did, whereas obviously at, le at the higher levels, you'd be wanting them to actually be able to make choices about types of courses that they wanted to do. So like for, you know, this is at the level three. So here we're at the higher level of wanting people to be able to investigate course and placement opportunities, the range of leisure opportunities. So they're really getting a sense of what university can provide. We're wanting them to be able to evaluate things here so that they can actually decide which institution they might want to go to, which course they might want to go to. So they're not only just aware of the range of options, they're actually may, able to make decisions that fit in with their personal interests or their own career aspirations. And then we started to think initially, we were thinking about higher education, but then we started to think, well, this actually extends to the graduate labour. You know, it's something that goes beyond, because we started talking about outreach, but we started to think beyond outreach. And the point that you made, that widening participation isn't just about getting people into university if they then leave and fail. It's got to be sort of widening participation to the opportunities that are associated with higher education. So here, we thought at this level, this is at level three, so just before, you know, the, the, the six, uh, 16 here, just, you know, leading up to university, they need to anticipate some of the challenges to actually get real experiences. I mean, we talked a lot about building resilience, recognising that actually going to university is a challenging experience for everybody and is it's supposed to be that's you know it's supposed to be quite hard that's the point of it but actually getting people prepared so they knew the kind of thing that they would be expected and perhaps had some faith in themselves to be able to meet that challenge and then finally you know, these two levels here looking at enhancing their skills through projects so something that actually helped them to develop their capacity to develop the kind of skills that they would need at university and then also and this has been quite an important area seeing how the knowledge that they're gaining already sits within these wider fields so getting them to contextualize what they're learning within the context of university subject areas but also more widely and, you know, I think the point, you know, the science capital thing that you, that work was quite relevant in that context, wasn't it? Yeah. So, so from this, we've been able to really structure our evaluation in a way where we, we've got clear aims and we've got clear objectives that we've been able to use to structure the kind of questions that we're asking students. So we've been able to ask particular questions that are geared towards 
these particular aims and objectives. And then we've been able to present data that actually we can present as evidence of people saying the kind of things. So here, this is a result of a clicker quiz. We've, we ditched uh, our happy sheets because we found that the university had got all these clickers. And they're really, they're, well, they're not very high-tech experience at all. It's like sort of 70s version of high-tech or something like that. But actually, the students really like it. And we found that actually they engage a lot more with, they get really excited about it, <laughs> which if you give them a, I don't know anybody who's got excited about an evaluation form, but it's, um, you get more excited about this interactive. So this has enabled us to actually ask very specific questions to get quantitative evidence of students saying that they agreed, that they now know more about the opportunities than they did before. And then we, we would then do informal interviews with people and we've got people saying, we had so many people saying this has really helped them to work out what they're going to do. And you know, so many of people saying that this is now really confirmed. So we've got evidence here of people saying things that we can present as in, you know, evidence of impact. Uh, if you yeah. keep clicking through the slides, and, and see one of the things with, with that is possible to do here is to aggregate the data on all the level three interventions. So we have done that up yes. to a point yes. sometimes, you know, so you could say all those similar interventions, you could aggregate the data and see whether the level three program itself is being effective. Yeah. So it's provided as a common structure for each individual activity, but also the program as well. And yeah, yeah and that's... But what we've been demonstrating here is a particular approach, which was, you know, we had the attitudinal um, sort of statement, which developed questions around that. But of course, this is just one way of um, one, a couple of methods that it, you can use any method, and we mm. have. And our colleagues who we've been working with at other universities are using a variety of methods. And for younger age groups, you would say this may not well be the right method. You might want to look at things in a different way. Um, so that was one of the things we wanted to have this clear framework but not tie, that, tie people down to methodology. So I wouldn't want people to think that these are the only sort of methodologies that you can no. use. This is just to say... You know, I think the point was about being clear about the aims and objectives of an event and tying your evaluation really into that so that instead of just going through some mechanical process that wasn't useful, um, you could actually make it into a useful, meaningful process. Yeah. And that final statement about the biology project I was very pleased about that one because that sort of captured what I was wanting to achieve with the subject related uh, things. Not to replicate the school curriculum, to give students a, a sort of wider lens on what they might be doing for school. So, and I think the greatest thing is that it, it uh, gives us that opportunity for reflecting on what we do. So, um, Marion, whom you'll meet in a minute, uh, who's taken over from Andrew in this role, has been um, using um, the evaluation to work with the team um, who deliver this and the academic staff to really reflect on. So we're able to reflect on uh, the activities, reflect on the impact that it's having yeah. in the university. And how we can approve them to make sure that they are meeting mm. those aims and objectives and, yeah. you know, and looking at particular areas that maybe aren't being, this is the thing as well, being able to almost looking at the design of an activity. So that's it's not just been the evaluation side and how to communicate. It's just also been about the design of activities and the programs and thinking, you know, in a, critically about what they're for. Yeah. Um, so that and a 
and we can also, of course, we're moving into doing that more so. We, remember, this is a very new program at Bath compared to some other universities which have been doing this sort of work for uh, many years. You know, it only started when I, I went there, so it's, it's relatively new. So, um, you know, now getting better relationships with teachers, for example, so that we can have um, conversations about well, what really would help on A-level chemistry. What can the university do? if we ran an A-level chemistry enhancement day, um, what would really help you and your pupils? So, um, and bringing that sense of reflexivity in. We've got some of the um, events being sort of, uh, the electors have actually uh, agreed to this and some have asked for this, being measured by the teachers on sort of Ofsted standards. It's a, it's a bit of fun, you know, in a way, but uh, that's, been, that's been quite fun. But this takes time to build up those sorts of relationships of trust where and, and uh, where you can do that sort of activity. Um, effective in other contexts, we knew that was our weakness. We'd gone into it in great depth, but only in one university. So you'll hear more about from our colleagues here who've been uh, using the framework in different ways about the challenges and the uh, uh, opportunities that it's presented to. And we've also applied it to um, our um, national collaborative outreach project, which was very difficult. And I know that Alice has done the same down at Study Higher, so um, we, can, we can explore that a bit further. Um, we won't go on a little bit, uh, because we're running over now, yeah. but we have actually, as a group <coughs> with our colleagues in other universities, started to develop the top level aims for student success and for progression. And several colleagues we know are doing some work around progression. The trickier one is, of course, student success, especially with the introduction of the test. Anyway, so we, have to, we, won't, we won't go anywhere near that today. So we want to extend those levels to student success and progression and apply the framework in as many contexts as we can to see how it's working. Use with a wider range of methodologies because that capacity is there and that would give more flexibility and different insights. Um, and explore how the ideas underpinning the framework can be used to look not just at the activities, but for example, you saw how important um, the involvement of the current students is in this. So, what is it about working with student ambassadors that seems to have such a, a fantastic impact? Um, and of course, invite more universities to join the routine. So we will probably do something in the summer um, where we can get more um, interested people involved. And our article about developing the framework was published um, in uh, November in London Review. So there's uh, of education, so we put the reference there. But I think we have to stop talking. Yeah, and we we are developing. You missed the website. We're developing. Oh, yes, we're we're developing the website with the the framework on as well, which would be hopefully sort of presented in a, a more useful way. Yeah. Okay. okay. So we've overrun. What should we have? I mean, you will. Yeah. Questions. Yeah. It's all right. Yeah. yeah. Hi. Um, my name is Nick. I'm the head of research and engagement for the Access Platform, but I'm also head of department at. Uh, School in Hackney, so I kind of got to Which school? Uh, B6, Sixth Form, Um Yeah, so you'll have to forgive me, this is one of, like, one of these waffly conference questions. I'm kind of just thinking aloud, so you might have to help me out here. But you like really 
really kind of like personally identified at the start as a need in the sector to bring together practice, theory and policy. That's like blatantly obvious. Mm -hmm. But it feels in a way, and tell me if I've got the wrong end of the stick, that maybe the framework doesn't quite do that. I feel that the kind of policy direction, obviously, like, and also some kind of received wisdom is towards a greater focus on attainment. We've also got like the prickly issue of HI sponsoring preschoolers, for example. What it actually feels a little bit like is that the Naruti framework actually kind of defines the role of WP away from that and instead kind of just credits it or just creates it as, as something that can kind of aid cultural navigation but kind of sidesteps the issue of attainment. I know you mentioned attainment activities go into that, but when we think about like the really deep problem of kind of tri-qualification or GCSE attainment, it's a very eloquent explanation of what WP is in this kind of like cultural navigation sense. But I feel like it sidesteps a kind of deeper issue with prior qualification because obviously that is a proxy for kind of social economic disadvantage as well. Mm. So I, I don't know, thoughts about that, I suppose I wouldn't really question. I mean, we did talk a lot about this, the whole aspiration versus attainment raising and a lot of the work that the University of Bath was, was trying to do was around attainment raising. But again, that wasn't that well theorised. We didn't know what worked. I suppose that is my question. So is, is the Naruti framework the final kind of expression? Because you said, you know, we've got to recreate what schools do. And I can understand the logic of that. So is it that WP is this kind of discrete entity? That only focus on this issue of kind of like cultural navigation and building houses. No, that bit is the cultural navigation bit. That's the cultural navigation. That bit is we tried to capture the skills, the developing the capacity and skills for academic attainment. I mean, that's incorporated some of the work we've been doing with tutors in schools. You know, that was a way of actually looking at the effectiveness of that. But then also this contextualising people's knowledge to enable them to think differently. I think what you mean about the policy. Mm. And I think this latest discourse um, that we're having about what universities can do for schools is not very helpful, really. Um, I, I happened to hear the uh, Vice-Chancellor of the University of Oxford talking about this and um, on the radio, and she, I thought she was very good. Because schools, uh, universities don't know how to run schools. And we know that university lecturers don't necessarily know how to teach children physics. Now, I'm not saying that things are perfect in schools and they're not perfect in universities. What we might want to do, though, and what I think has been successful in the past, is to think about how um, secondary schools and universities can work together. Because we know that that's precisely what happens where schools and colleges have a very high progression rate to university. And I know B6 has got a, a project with Oxford, which is very successful, and I think replicates that. So when I was in my previous role at Goldsmiths, and we had the very um, high um, entry fine art degree, we did some research into that and found that there were only, um, despite there were a number of foundation years in the country, I don't know, 120 or something like that, Goldsmiths tended to take only from 43 well-known colleges, often full of Goldsmiths alumni, who actually knew how the Goldsmiths degree worked, what to, how to prepare your portfolio. I mean, it wasn't cheating, you know, in the sense that the staff didn't set up, but they knew the ropes, they knew how to... So what um, we did was not just explain to the students what they needed to do in, a, in order to do cultural navigation, because in a way that puts the, um, puts the onus back on the student to say, you must do better. 
but actually got um, academic staff working um, in a local college um, with the students, developing their um, well, developing their art. Well, just quickly to respond, so you said, I wrote down the quote, you said, so for year six students, for example, you just want them to kind of get to the university and see it and know there's an opportunity there. Mm. Is that really how we want to kind of like codify or limit widening participation? Surely what you actually want them to do is make a really kind of like fundamental academic engagement at that young age, and you know, that's proven to be very effective. So, it is very effective. So do we just want to kind of like, that, for example, you know, like point out institutions and say, this is something going to help you to navigate? Or should there be kind of deeper engagement with attainment and teach? Well, that would be, um, and that's great, there's an issue of capacity with primary. Um, mm -hmm. So I have been um, more recently developing some attainment raising activities, particularly on the STEM, because that's where Bath is strong on STEM subjects. And there's a logistical issue about it. So um, in terms of delivery, Francois is saying we're overrunning. <laughs> Sorry, So that's all right. So. And this is where the sort of whole theory practice, how do you deliver it, comes together. So my science outreach person, he's been on for ages about having a mobile lab like they've got in Bristol. And uh, finally, last year, he was given a van. He wasn't given a whole mobile lab. But it does mean that they can actually go out um, and work in the primary schools and lower school groups. Because obviously, primary schools are desperate for that sort of activity. They're often very small and they haven't got the capacity. Mm. So I think that's something where you're correct in terms of um, you know, the framework evolving into work with lower age groups. France was going to test, I'm just not going to put that whole thing again.